I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. After a week off, the Six Nations resumes this weekend. The standout clash comes from Twickenham, where England take on unbeaten France. Been a tournament to forget so far for attending champions, who've lost two out of their opening three games. Head coach Eddie Jones has faced criticism for his team selections, and with a number of players performing well in the Gallagher Premiership, is it time for him to shake things up a bit? We'll discuss that, as well as England's chances throughout the show today. As for France, they'll be playing their first Six Nations game since mid-February after their last game against Scotland was postponed. A number of French players broke Covid protocols, but amazingly after an investigation, which was a blue wash, uh, they were found to have done nothing wrong by leaving their bubble and they've been granted permission to resume the tournament. We'll be speaking to the former French international Thomas Castagnier to get his reaction to this story and to look ahead to the clash, which we'll see. France edge closer to a Grand Slam if they win. Elsewhere, Wales' unlikely march also towards a Grand Slam will surely continue when they take on Italy and Rome, and the two potential Lions coaches, Gregor Townsend and Andy Farrell, go head-to-head in Edinburgh as Scotland hosts Ireland. As ever, we'll be answering your questions, including the latest on the Lions tour. But alongside me, and it's appropriate because it's International Women's Day today, is the former England back row, Maggie Alfonsi. Hello, Maggie. Hello, Brian. Thank you for having me on. It's great all. to be here on a special day. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, listen, Women's Day is every day in my household because there are five women and me. So that's uh, <laughs> you, I never get a vote anyway. Look, it's been a poor Six Nations for, so far for England. Uh, a lot of our guests have shared their thoughts on what's been going wrong so far. Can I ask you to do that as well? Sure. I mean, I think there's been a lot of uh, points made about England's Recent performances, I mean, for me, I think the first one is obviously, you know, the spine of the England team, you know, those key Saracens players who are in decision-making positions haven't necessarily put in their best performances. Um, you know, Billy Vodopola was one who was very open about, you know, not necessarily performing at his best. Um, had a better performance, though, definitely last, um, not last weekend, the weekend before that. So he's definitely stepped that up. But I think, you know, some of the key... Players haven't necessarily stood up. Um, what about what about the captain? Because uh, because Lawrence Delalio was speaking to the Telegraph and he said that Itoji or um, George should replace Farrell. See, do you know, look, Brian, you you know what it's like to to lead a team, and I think when it comes to Owen Farrell, I think it's really hard to be. A, I imagine it's really hard to be a captain at fly half. Look, I'm not fly half. I don't know what it what it would be like, but the pressure on your shoulders, and I think Farrell has 
had some ups and downs. We've seen him over the last few seasons, you know, take on that captain mantle. And and at times, the way he communicates with the referee sometimes isn't necessarily appropriate. Um, you know, I think that some of the best captains, well, the best captain I've ever witnessed has definitely been Richard McCaw. Oh, yeah. He rarely got um, red cards or yellow cards. I don't think he ever got a red card at all in his career, but he obviously got a couple of red cards, oh, sorry, yellow cards. And it's because of the way he communicated that relationship that he built up with the referees. Sam Warburton was another one when he was a uh, captain, was very good at that. So I think people would say, you know, Owen Farrell probably could do that a lot better. That, I'll that, tell you that, another that, thing, Maggie. Management. Another thing from Fly Half is this. Is it given that penalties are almost always around set pieces or breakdowns. Forwards are generally around there, and a captain who is a forward is generally just next to a referee or very close. If you're a fly half and something happens, you've got to come running in, which makes it you know, seem as though you're interfering. You know, when, say, Alan Wynne-Jones used to just stand next to the referee, McCaw just stands there, hey, you know, sure. can, I, can I ask you about that? Very, you know, very matter-of-fact out the corner of your mouth. Whereas Owen Farrell runs in, and he's got a very blunt northern accent, and it looks like an assault. Do you know, I do think there should be in a team various different types of captains, you know. So I think you're right. You've got to have, we always talk about a pack leader, you know, yeah. like Brian, have someone in the, in the pack who can definitely communicate with the referee. Most referees only want to speak to the captain. So that, that so I, I, look, for me, I've always loved a captain to be a forward. Um, but again, some of my best captains have been nine and 10. So as long as they're in a decision-making role, who've got, the vision to see the whole game and understand the whole picture. Sometimes you probably could say forwards don't always have that option to be able to see the whole game, what's happening in front of you, could you focus on, you know, the contact, the set piece, all of that really. So, yeah, I, look, I totally agree with you. I do think you kind of need a, a player who's closer to the referee who can communicate them when something happens at that very moment in time, rather than having someone out in the back just to run all the way in. Uh, but look, hey, Stuart Hogg, he's captain for Scotland, and, and Scotland are doing t- pretty well, and he's fullback, and he has to run yeah. in the water. OK, well, look, Austin Healy um, wrote in the Telegraph, I don't often agree with Austin, but um, the, the Jones' selection this weekend will define the rest of his tenure as coach. Now, I, I do agree with him in, in, in this way. We, we'll see his intention and see his um, whether his loyalty, and, and to me, sometimes... Um, misplaced loyalty in players who he has coached for a long time. But the fact is, because of the way the squad was picked originally and the, no- the limited number of players in it, he hasn't got that much room for manoeuvre. So he can't suddenly have radical change, and he isn't going to have radical change. We're not going to see, you know, Randall before he's injured, but you know, we're not going to see Marcus Smith, we're not going to see uh, Simmons, uh, and so on. So do you think within the limited scope that he has for change he, he will make them I don't think he will um, based on the fact that yes they lost to Wales but when you li- listen to his post-match interviews um, Eddie very much saw it as look they started off poorly they had some decisions against them but he is quite confident that that performance that England had to come back you know to bring it back to 24 all um, I think he felt that there was a, definitely a better second half so I think he'll just see it as England ended on a improved performance from their first half. And actually, this is a team that's now starting to find its flow. Um, I would love to see changes. You know, I, I personally still probably, it's difficult. You don't want to go dramatic changes. And like you said, he's got COVID restrictions, which means that his squad's limited. Um, but, you know, there he could are swap Watson and Daly, couldn't he? could swap Watson and Daly into what I think yeah. are better positions for them temperamentally. I mean, that's yeah. just, I mean also, that without swapping any personnel, you know, just a positional change. 
Uh, yeah, totally. I also think Lawrence, I would love to see Lawrence back in in the centres. I think he's a good centre. Didn't really get much of an opportunity against Scotland. Didn't play against Italy where he could have really thrived. And I think, you know, his combination, you could put him with Farrell. But I do think he would be another one as well. So you're right, more positional changes rather than dramatic, you know, full changes out of the squad. OK, well, look, um, they're, they're facing France. And um, this is a good French team. We all know that. It's got good depth, but they haven't played for quite a while. And who knows? I mean, the thing is about when people have COVID, some people have symptoms, some people don't. Uh, we don't know because he's, he's rightly being kept under wraps by the French. Who's had what, to what extent? Um, so, and they're coming to Twickenham. So and I don't think they'll run riot there. And I think it's going to be, it's going to be a close game if both sides play well. What's your feeling about what we can expect from the French? See, I think, um, you know, we've seen what the French have done over the, the past two rounds anyway. Obviously, they missed the third one. Um, some exciting rugby, especially when their top players are informed. Um, they've also got two key players coming back into the squad. So, Entomac yeah. has come back and Fakatau has come back as well. And they're brilliant. We know what they can do. So, I think we're going to see a really um, fresh French side ready to play where you, you will see a, a wounded England side who, you know, really have a lot to prove. And like Austin Healy said in his article, you know, this is there's pressure on their shoulders um, and there's pressure on Eddie's shoulder to, shoulders to want to, to want to win. You know, they have to win. They need the win. So um, I expect a lot from the French. I expect the French to, to really come out fighting. Um, I think it will be a close game. I'm going to put it out there. I think it will be a close game. I just want to wait at this point. It was reported, Jamie George said, look, England are frothing at the mouth to, you know, to get into this game. And that phrase, along with the um, phrase Eddie Jones keeps using about brutality, just betrays the wrong mindset to me. We don't want rabid dogs. We want people who are calm and intelligently, you know, belligerent. You know, you need to focus that sort of thing. And given England's disastrous penalty counts in some games, that is the least appropriate sort of metaphor, I think. You can have running around with distemper. Why don't we speak to, uh, for a French perspective, Thomas Castagnier, former French for half a year. The, the French team, uh, we've sure we, we've seen that they have got depth as well as the initial squad. Um, they've got an understanding of how they want to play now. They're playing to that plan, and when they are given opportunities, you know they are very dangerous. Um, do you expect, with the layoff, them to just continue on that uh, without any problem, or do you think they might have a bit more problem at Twickenham? Well, first of all, I think um, as a French perspective, we are really surprised by uh, um, the quality of the team, you know, because things went so quickly with Fabien Galtier, and uh, we come from so deep, and uh, no one expected us, you know, to be at this level so quickly. Um, but uh, I think we've got a generation of player which is uh, uh, massively, uh, uh, which has a massive impact, you know, on French rugby. And um, we don't speak only about the first 15 choice, but as you said, you know, the depth is there. And even when we have injuries, you know, we are able to, to cope with the best teams. Um, but I really think that the French team is, is getting stronger. But when I see the other teams, I think the level is going down. From you know the the six the other six nations team, I think Wales, Ireland, you know they look like all teams. You know they 
they, they, they seem to have the same players since 20 years, you know, and they, they always play the same game. So they are very predictable. Uh, if, if, I, if I have to speak about England, I'm very surprised because if you pick the players individually, I think the quality is there. But I don't understand why they play so bad, uh, you know, since the last two years. And I think with the quality of the players that they have, maybe it could be explained by the fact that Saracens is not, the players of Saracens are not playing this year. They have a major, major impact, you know, in English team. But I cannot understand why they kick so much into the ball, why they they were so so uh, enthusiastic. They, they produced such a good rugby, you know, in, in, in the last two or three years. But then now they look completely, completely you know lost and um, and i think there's a now french rugby you know they they play we play totally differently i think the quality in the player is there individually but as a team we really gel together and um i think we are the team to beat now in the six nation two two things i wrote in my um article for telegraph today dupont and olivon are two absolutely key players for france now they i think um Olivon is 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 assuming a, a, like a, a McCaw, like right? an importance of Richie McCaw was to the All Blacks, and I've said that um, even though England play on the edge, they need to 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 get pressure specifically on these two players. If they can do that, what effect do you think it might have? Well, it's every well. First of all, Olivon. If we have to speak about Olivon, he has been injured for two years uh, in in the last four years and. We thought at one stage that he was not going able to play at the highest level or even play again, you know, rugby. And um, he came from Bayonne and inside he signed for too long, so massive step for him. But um, as a player, you know, he's got he's, he's got everything you need, you know, to play to, to play at the highest level. And you, if you compare him to McComey, I would compare him more to Kieran Reed, you know, someone with speed, you know, and, and someone who's able to to make the yards, create some uh, danger. And then when you have Dupont next to you, and which is probably the best scrum off in the world at the moment, you know, this guy is really unbelievable. He can create some danger when the team is struggling. He can, um, you always think at the start of the game that you're going to catch him. And I, I saw him play, you know, for Toulouse in the last two years. He's really unstoppable. And uh, so that's, uh, you know, playing with these players, I think for the French team, for the pack, First of all, you know that even if you got some trouble, these players can add value to your balls. And 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 for the back line, you, they don't. They only give you the the good balls, so that's very that's much easier to play. So Thomas, obviously France uh, round three game was postponed. Do you think it's going to have an impact on their ability to really put in a good performance against England? Then the confidence is there, and especially with uh, some players who are coming back in the team because. We have Vakatawa coming back in the centre. And this guy will have a massive impact because even if the French team um, played really well in the first two games, I think Vakatawa has a massive impact when he's on the field. He was injured, you know, at the start. Romain Tamak will come back too. You know, he, he, he didn't have such a very good game with the French team against, against Brief this weekend. But when, when he has to play at the highest level, he, he, can, he, can, he will always deliver. So... Um, I think these two players, uh, they know exactly all the tactics of the French team. Dupont and Ntamak, they play together all the time, so they are very linked. And um, so I think for the French team, it's a, it's a massive step. Even if we're going to miss, I think, one of the guys that we don't speak so much about, but he has 
He does a lot on the pitch. It's Gabin Villiers, a new winger. You know, it's the new Vincent Clair, you know, on the wing. He's very strong with his upper body. He was very good in the sevens. He's been best player in Hong Kong, you know, a few years ago. And this guy, you know, he's really, he's, he, brings, he brings something to the team, you know, all the time he, he plays, you know. So I think, the, I think we, we have all the ingredients uh, to uh, um, create, you know, a good game in Twickenham. But we know French players that playing in Twickenham is never easy. And I'm pretty sure that England is not playing at the level they should play, you know. So I think for that game, you always step up you know, to, to the next level. And uh, I'm pretty sure that it's, it's going to be very hard for us uh, at Twickenham on Saturday. Do you think Vakatel will go straight in at 13? Because obviously Vincent has been playing really well, hasn't yeah, he, at 13? But, but Vincent is not selected because he still has some uh, some issues with the, with the coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, but I saw the game of Vakatawa this weekend between Toulon and Racing, and Vakatawa was really amazing you know he, he didn't play in the last in the last six weeks but uh, every time he had the ball you know he, he had an impact he scored a try he's is uh, is a threat you know and he's every time he plays you know you have to focus two or three defenders on him because he's, he's able to, to make the pass you know into contact and he's got something special and um, I'm pretty sure they, they're gonna use him you know straight straight into the game Tom our final question what do you think the result will be? I think it's going to be a draw. <laughs> you liar. <laughs> I think you'll be happy with a draw. Tom, good to speak to you. Take care. If, it, if it's a draw, you have to call me back. <laughs> Absolutely. Champagne is on me. Well, barring a freak result from Italy, Wales will go into the final weekend of the Six Nations in the hunt for a Grand Slam. There's been an air of controversy around all three games. I think that's fair to say. Uh, what have you made of them so far? I mean, Thomas said that he felt they'd gone down a bit. Um, I would actually say, you know, they're in, who would have thought at the start of the tournament that they'll be in a position where they potentially could go on to win a grand slam? Nobody, including everyone from Wales. <laughs> I think it's actually really good. You know, um, Pivac going into the tournament had a lot of criticism about, you know, his style of rugby hasn't been, obviously... Um, imposed onto that Welsh side. They weren't really performing. You know, they show up in the round one. Yes, there's a red card. Um, and then they show up again in round two. Yes, there's another red card. And then against England, there's two potential controversial uh, tries. But actually, you'd look at the way the Welsh played against England in particular, especially, um, you'd say, second half as well. They, they, they were clinical and they took the opportunities. And even with the two tries that are controversial, they took the opportunity. So you've almost got to take your hat off to the Welsh. And, you know, Alwyn Jones is still going strong as a captain. And you'd probably say with the Welsh side, there's some really good young players coming through that are standing up. And, you know, uh, Lewis um, Rees-Samet is, is, is fantastic to watch. It's exciting to watch. And the players like North, who have almost found their form again, who's playing in 13, obviously in the centres, is also playing some good rugby. So it's been quite exciting to watch the Welsh team almost grow in this tournament and I I generally think that you know they'll play against Italy there's a there's a good chance they'll win that and then you know the final game they'll be fighting out for potentially for a grand slam well look I mean Ireland are taking on Scotland uh, it's at Murrayfield um, Scotland obviously had an enforced uh, rest following the uh, slip up against Wales last time at home and Ireland seem to be improving slowly under Andy Farrell Johnny Sexton's extended his his deal. Um, what do you make of this? Because I find this really hard to call. 
I think we always know between these two teams, it, 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 I know it sounds quite obvious, but it can go e- either way. Um, I always feel with, similar to the French with the Scots, they've had that, not it's not a rest weekend at all, but obviously they've had a weekend where they can actually almost rest, uh, rest certain injuries and actually build up that hunger to, to take on Ireland, especially as they, they lost uh, the game beforehand. Um and also, I feel with Ireland, I don't know, again, it's almost similar to the Welsh side. They, they, they're slightly growing in strength. Um, they had a good performance against Italy, but, you know, again, Italy probably aren't at their very best. Um, they, I think, you know, Johnny Sexton, when he's in, in form, so is the rest of the, the team. And I feel like Ireland are starting to get depth now in their squad. So that's starting to come through, like with the likes of Billy Burns. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I, th- I feel like the Scottish team for me, though, are, are incredibly looking strong. It's, I thoroughly enjoy watching them. They've got some good players. And you almost feel like when you talk about the Lions as well, there's going to be quite a few Scottish players in that Lions team because of the way the, the Scots are playing. But why don't we talk about the Lions in this aspect? Warren Gatland, uh, I think, is selling out both Farrell and Townsend to be members of his coaching ticket. That would, uh, that would be a high-powered coaching triumvirate, but there are big personalities there. Um, and they're all used to being in charge now. Um, will that or will that work necessarily? I don't know. Do you know what, Brian? The last uh, lot of um, Lions tours, there's always been some key personnel in the coaching staff, and you, whether they are head coaches for their national team or assistant coaches, they still got they still got strong personalities and. I mean, obviously, Andy Farrell's worked with Warren Gatlin. Um, Gregor Townsend, to my knowledge, I don't think has worked with Warren Gatlin in uh, in that capacity. So I think, you know, we talk about all these top um, national players coming together who are captains or not captains, and they've got to make it work. You, you know the coaching team have exactly the same with regards to their personnel. You put your ego to the side and actually you put your knowledge together and uh, take on what potentially could be a strong South African outfit. Well, lastly on the Lions, I uh, don't know if you all know this, but the proposed plan to stage in Australia has finally been shelved. I never thought it was a realistic prospect anyway, not least because the Australian uh, European Union offer to underwrite the tour was was not bogus, but it was a bit far-fetched given that they claim they're nearly bankrupt anyway. So the four options remain a UK and Ireland-based tour, um, Home tour, a tour to South Africa with matches behind closed doors or very limited crowds, uh, a postponement until 2022 or a cancellation. Now, um, they can't move it to 2022. There isn't enough room in the calendar. And the uh, national coaches will be quite right, in my, in my opinion, would be actually be wrong to say, yeah, we'll get this, you know, a year before a World Cup, we'll give you all our players. I'm sorry. You know, England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, they've all got their own. Uh, ambitions for the World Cup, and that is more important to them. I love the Lions, obviously I was one, and so on, but the national game re- depends on national success. And uh, given the parlous state of most of the union's finances at the moment, the Lions is a luxury for them, um, and, and I don't say that lightly. Uh, so that, that to drought is me. A cancellation, uh, I think, would be, would, be, would, be, would be out. What do you think about the home tour aspect? You know what, Brian? It's been interesting listening to lots of people within our rugby community talking about they want to go abroad and do the, naturally, the touring aspect of Lions is what makes it really special. Um, I guess my attitude is I just want the Lions to go ahead. Just, I just want <laughs> I just want to see some top rugby. Um, and like you've already highlighted, if it gets moved back a year, it potentially puts um, players... Well, Maggie, what it, won't, it won't get moved back a year. There, there isn't room. They won't get no, the permission. I know, 
That's why I think um, for me, I just want to see it go ahead. So like the one option, obviously, it could be in South Africa, but for no no fans. Um, it could be obviously over here, United Kingdom. And for me, I, I'm pretty happy with any option. To be honest, I just want to see some good rugby. So wait, let me throw it back to you again. Brian, what would you? What would be your preferred option? What do you want to see? My preferred option would be them to tour, to go to South Africa. But if I have a choice of this only, touring South Africa behind closed doors and actually getting a crowd in, I have now changed my opinion. I originally said that they should tour come what may. But having seen and been present at games, international games, where there is no crowd, it really isn't the same. It isn't the same. It isn't the same for the players. It isn't the same experience. Even for the spectators via TV, it isn't the same. So for me, getting a crowd of some sort into these games is very important. And the, the most likely prospect for that to me seems to be on these shores, given the vaccination programme that's been ruled out, given the relaxation of the rules. And I think if we, if, if we don't have these idiots like Hartley Brewer get things wrong, then we may well be able to have this as a last lockdown and gradually ease other things. And that would be great because, you know, who knows, we could start off with a 20% crowd. It may, it may be built. And, and by the time it comes around, we, we could get that. Um, it's not ideal. Um, but then again, you also got to look at it from a South African point of view. They have got 400-odd players outside South Africa. They've got nearly 200 in the UK. And I don't know where... Where do you live, Maggie? I live in uh, Buckinghamshire. Oh, you don't. So you don't. You don't live. See, I live in the Yarpy Triangle, um, down in down in South London, between Earlsfield, Wimbledon, um, you know, and Southfields. And I could tell you, we've got four South African supermarkets. Um, <laughs> you know, it is full of South Africans, and they, you know, will be desperate to get tickets and money. So you might at least have a balanced crowd as well, a, a little bit of a balance. So I think of all the things that, you know, I really do want it to go ahead. I, I don't think a cancellation... And the other thing is it will make money. And that's a good thing because the Lions makes quite a bit of money, which it gives away to the unions. Um, and at the moment, you know, for the good of the Lions brand and, 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 and getting cash in, and I, and I hate to keep stressing this, but the state of the nations, all unions' finances at the moment is parlous. It's really not good. So just getting that cash in and improving the viewer experience and having fans there, for me, I've changed my mind on that. We're recording this on International Women's Day. Um, I've seen behind you 100 First Women Portraits. What's that about? Yeah. So that's just a book of basically um, pictures of women who have been the first in whatever field they've done. So, okay. So um, I presume so- some of them... Um, uh, either were or are people, women you admire. Can you pick out a few for us? Actually, there's the, the one woman that I admire isn't in that book. <laughs> um, so I should have talked to the author and said, can you just put her in, please, next time? But um, So I guess when we talk about International Women's Day, uh, a woman who's really kind of been my idol, I guess, when I was growing up was um, Denise Lewis, heptathlete, mm-hmm. who won gold medal in 2000 um, in the Olympics in Sydney. Just amazing, you know, someone who I think, I think growing up, I, you know, rugby, obviously I liked rugby, but I didn't really think too much about it. And the sports that always attracted and appealed to me was athletics. You know, I always wanted to be a sprinter or, or you know, running the relay um, in the final of the Olympics. But, you know, for her, she, she sort of looked like me, had a similar background to me, and I was really inspired by that. And I think when we talk about International Women's Day, it very much is about that, isn't it? Like, if, if you can't see it, you can't be it. Or 
we can also say if you can't see it, it's hard to be it. And I think when I saw her, I thought, well, I could really potentially make it as a top athlete. And even though I didn't go down the world of athletics or heptathlon, um, I still sort of saw her and thought, well, I could also be a, a top athlete. And then obviously I found rugby later on, but she definitely was the, a person who kick-started momentum mm-hmm. to want to be successful. Meghan Markle? We love Meghan Markle. Do you know what? I'm so looking forward to listening to the uh, interview or watching the interview tonight. I have to say, I did follow some of the tweets last night from all the Americans and it's going to be it's obviously a very juicy interview. So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to hearing all, all about that. Look, it's the first time we've spoken um, since uh, the new format for the Women's Six Nations was announced. We had the cancellation of the Women's World Cup, which is unfortunate. Um, what do you make of the new format? And are you in favour of the tournaments as a standalone? So, one, the new format was brought into place because um, the Women's Rugby World Cup uh, was was going to be fast approaching, so the, the uh, women's international calendar was quite condensed. So they changed the format to reduce the amount of games so that it wouldn't clash with the, the Olympics and the Women's Rugby World Cup. But now the Women's Rugby World Cup has been postponed and is going to be pushed back to 2022, uh, I guess you probably would say the format should change. So the format currently is there's two pools, A and B, um, three teams on each side, and then one team. So you play every team in your pool, and then you the top team from each pool plays the other team yeah. top in that pool. Um, so England have got Italy and Scotland, and then potentially, you know, who knows, they could play in the final France. I'm just saying that's that's, that's potentially... No, that's what's going to happen. Idea. That will likely happen. <laughs> um, so you know, I think that 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 format works quite well when the World Cup was going to happen. But now I think they should probably take it back to the original mm. format of, of a original Six Nations. But I do think that the the idea of pushing the women Six Nations to the um, window of April is actually a really good idea. It's been talked about before. You know, doing it outside of the men's window where potentially you can get more eyes on the game. Um, you know, more exposure. People who don't watch women's rugby might actually take an interest to want to watch women's rugby as you know when it's in the same light as the men the benefit is that you've got the commercial opportunities that, that run alongside the men but at the same time the natural, the natural uh people tend to go down the route of watching the men's game over the women's game and actually how can we get the opportunity to get people to watch both so what, what about the crowds success. what about the crowd thing maggie because you know uh, playing it just after men's internationals or just across the road from a stoop or whatever has certainly dragged a few people that might not have of watch, but then when you've taken them to uh, places like Exeter, Doncaster, crowds seem to have been good anyway. So, um, do you think it's the right time to make that leap? I think you've got to take a step at some stage, yeah. and and actually, I guess the COVID situation, even though it's not good, has probably forced the uh, the women's Six, six Nations setup to have to try this out. And I actually think we could see a real good uh, range of attendances, depending, obviously, by then if if crowds can go back, which I don't think will be the case, but. You know, the last uh, Six Nations, I think it was France versus England, you know, the, the crowds were huge over in France. And then obviously over here, I think it was England versus Wales. That was a big, uh, big attendance. And even at domestic uh, level where South has played Exeter, I think they had a huge uh, audience viewing on the, on the stream. So it just shows you that people want to watch women's rugby when it's available to them. So if we can do that outside of the men's window, I think we could really get some new new followers. Maggie, I'll just cover this before we go into the final part of the show, which is about the questions. Some of the stick you've been getting on 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 in in the media. How bad has it been? Oh, Brian, you know social media. You know it's always uh, it's you can either love it or you hate it. And unfortunately, I, I worked on the uh, 
round one of the Six Nations, Italy versus France. I was in the studio with Gareth Thomas and Jill Douglas, and my former teammate, uh, Daniel Waterman, was in the commentary with David Flatman. And unfortunately, I got a lot of sex abuse after that, and so did Daniel Waterman as well. But um, if anything, I took a lot of her abuse because people just saw a woman and heard a woman's voice and assumed it was mine. So I think what has been really disappointing, and we've seen it with Sonia McLaughlin, obviously, after the uh, um, England-Wales game, you know, there's just been a lot more abuse out there. And unfortunately, a lot of it has been sexist. It might not necessarily refer to the gender, but the tone is definitely a sexist tone. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just think, you know, Brian, you've sort of seen it as well. You know, uh, it's almost like, is it is it a result of the COVID situation? People are at home, people are frustrated, so they want to lash out onto people who are currently on TV or in the public eye. I don't know, but at the same time, I think it's important that we call out abuse, full stop. And it was sad to see as well that the men were getting it after the Wells game. Um, I know Genj was very open about what he got. So I just think we need to continue to call it out. And I, I do think social media um, platforms, organisations need to do more to try and curtail that as well. Well, I'll but tell you I what they should think- do, Maggie. They should do at least this. I do understand the, record, the, the need for some people to have anonymity. You know, some people with a guy called Secret Barrister who writes a lot about courts because of his anonymity and he embarrasses people because he gives the true uh, nature of what's going on in the justice system. So I do understand that. But uh, there's no doubt that anonymity allows people to, who are cowards to, to abuse people. I just think this. If, they made, if Twitter and other social media sites made people prove who they were before they gave them an account so they could be contacted uh, and potentially, you know, the names and, 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 give, and details given over if they um, broke the law or if they libeled people, then at least that would give people a remedy. And, it would, and people would know if you want to be anonymous and you misbehave or you break the law or you libel people, then you can at least be um, brought to book. I fully agree. It would take away the anonymity of it um, and actually make sure people become almost... Accountable and yeah, it's accountable. I think that would definitely change things up. It just disappoints me that we've seen so much of it, and I just yeah, it's awful. And I, you know, I'm pretty strong. I can I, I crack on when I and I'll keep speaking the, the speaking my knowledge and and you know whatever it may be. But I just feel for those who you know it does have an impact, um, and I just hope it stops. Okay, let's get on to the questions from the fans. Uh, Gareth, should the Wales-France game be postponed until France have caught up with their fixtures so we get a possible Grand Slam decider? Because uh, no disrespect to Italy, uh, he expects Wales to beat them this weekend. I expect them to beat Logan. Uh, I think the more problematic thing is, I think the England-France game will be close at Twickenham. There is a possibility that England will. I don't think it's a probability. I think they're slight, I think France are favourites. But what it, I, the problem with this is it's all over the place anyway. There's already been a postponement. Once you start doing this... You know, who knows where we may be, what, what, what happens between then and then. You, you set it up if there's another COVID outbreak or, or, you know, I'm afraid, Gareth, for me, it's just got to go ahead as it is. Not ideal, but that's the way it is. Why don't you uh, answer this one from no lesser person than the Frenchman Michel Roux Jr., who's a Quinn season ticket or good lad, is uh, Michel. Um, how good are Quinns? And is it time for England to look to the future, by which you think he means Don Brandt and Marcus Smith in particular? Um, so for me, I think Quinns are incredibly good. I obviously watched uh, yesterday and Marcus Smith. I mean, you know, I was listening to the, obviously the BT Sport uh, commentators and obviously the talk in the studio as well. And I've watched Marcus Smith throughout the, this season anyway, and obviously parts of last season. 
And the guy is sensational. You almost think to yourself, why has he not had the chance properly at England to really have a go? You know, he's been obviously an apprentice player and so on. But there's so many players in that Harlequin side where you just think they are absolutely um, being able to thrive. They're coming back into their form. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Alex Dombrandt as well. You know, he's someone I truly believe, along with Sam Simmons, who should be involved in the England setup as in well. Some, in, some, in some way or other. Yeah, totally. Because I think, you know, there's players like that who, yeah, they've got the stature, but also quite good leaders. I mean, I know Don, Don Brandt got uh, carded in the game yesterday, but I think there's players like that who just really do stand up and, and who are key and integral and could really make an impact at the international level. But there's always questions about, you know, does Eddie see certain players at club level as international players? And I think that's where... Well, the thing is, say, Maggie, the thing is, Maggie, as you know, he won't find out whether they can play international rugby if he doesn't play them. I, I totally agree with you. Hey, look, Harry Randall, <laughs> for me, I think he's, he's sensational at Bristol and obviously now he's injured, but God, I'd love to have seen him at international, um, sorry, sensational at Bristol and you'd love, you know, I'd love to have seen him at play for England and see what he could have done, but like I said, just don't get a chance to really get a run out. couple more. One from Gregory. Do you think there was an obvious first choice scrum half for the Lions? Um, no, not, not, on, not a standout. Several candidates. I, I wouldn't say. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put much or any money on on any particular person, Maggie. I am uh, with you there, Brian. I always think about you know what's the Six Nations team of each week, and sometimes that Youngs has some good bits. Then I think Ali, Ali Price does some good stuff. Um, it, I, yeah, I think it's a, a real mix at the moment now. So I think there's definitely that line shirt, that number nine shirt, the starting shirt is definitely up for grabs. Okay, a last one for both both of us. I'll, I'll I'll answer it first, then I'll so I'll give you a bit more time to think about it. These aren't Warrior England highs. Warrior England lows. Well, I tell you what, England lows. Obviously, the Grand Slam game in 1990, which uh, I've just stopped having therapy about. It's only 30 years. The England loss to Wales, though, in the quarterfinal of the '87 World Cup, was such a dire, awful game and performance that I tell you, in terms of actual lows in performance. That was the one. So those two uh, with England. And of course, you know, losing to Australia in the World Cup final. Um, but in terms of actual lows of performance, quarterfinal 87. Maggie? So um, for me, I, I'll, I'll just pull out one really. The, the main one for me was losing to uh, New Zealand. What, just losing to New Zealand full stop is always a low. Um, losing to New Zealand in 2010 in the Women's Rugby World Cup final in England. I think That, that was, was the one at Quinns, wasn't it? That was at Quinn's, yeah, the stoop, and we only lost by three points. So I know, I was there. I, still, I was watching. Oh, oh, I still think we were robbed. I mean, obviously, no, we weren't <laughs> robbed. I mean, they're, they're, they're such a good side. Just to lose them, um, you know, and for me, it was the second time I'd lost them in the final. Was quite I, just thought they, I just thought in that game, you know, I thought they just kicked better from hand. I thought they, they did, their range they of did, kicking they, was better. They actually had in that game, um, I think for what I remember, two yellow cards. So at one time, they were playing 13 players and we had mm. 15 and we still didn't beat them. So I thought they were, they were brilliant and they did deserve to win on that day. Okay, well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. When we come back, we'll be dissecting what happened at Twickenham. Did England arrest France's seemingly inexorable domination of European rugby? Did Wales stay on track? Of course they did. And what happened between Scotland and Ireland? And what you don't know is the Scots and the Irish do not like each other. They really don't. This is a historical matter. It's about land clearances and all sorts of things, but they really don't like each other. A huge thank you to my co-host, Maggie Alfonsi, and to Thomas Castagnier for joining me. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not subscribe and check out some of our previous ones? And to stay up to date on all things sport, head to the Telegraph, looking at telegraph.co.uk forward slash contact, where 
you can get 30 days access to all the Telegraph's premium sports coverage and it's completely free. I'll be back next Monday, as I say. But Rao, goodbye. Goodbye.